Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I love this church. I love this church. I love what God is doing in this church, and I love what he's done in this church. I love where he's doing it. Here in Quispamstis and Halifax, West St. John, Charlottetown, and then a smattering of people really all across the region and even across the country. I love this church. I want to take you back in time for a minute to the beginning of our church. This is a ledger that was uh, recorded for the first about 12 years of our church's history, the milestones. And they write right at the beginning. It says this, and I want to read it to you. It says, it was the dream of a small group of people in 1981 to have a church in the community they lived in. Out of this dream came a faith project called Kings Valley. They decided to form a prayer group to ask the Lord what to do about the challenge and the problem of reaching this growing community in the Kennebecasis Valley. Prayer meetings and discussions began, and the prayer meetings became a time of spiritual growth for all involved. At first, they were a group of people not really involved with one another, but soon they became friends. A special relationship developed where they cared for one another. The project became an outright commitment to, and it has it in big letters, go for it. And their slogan became, if the Lord is in it, we will do it. They were not content to sit still, and so began King's Church. Forty years later, four locations later, three provinces later, several thousand people later, and here we are. This, right now, is our 40-year birthday, anniversary, milestone, but it's much more than that. This is a 40 moment. This is a moment between seasons, between where we were and where we're going, between what was and what will be. This is the culmination of 40 years of ministry and family and mission and generosity and healing and evangelism and discipleship and giving and faith and faithfulness and stewardship, 40 years of it. It's a transition, though, into the next 40 years. This is a 40 moment. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know what, I wasn't even here. I got here like last year. I don't really feel all the feels that some of you feel about this milestone. Maybe you think we're making a big deal of it. But I want to tell you today, church, that this is more than just a birthday or an anniversary on a calendar. For us as believers, this milestone has deep spiritual significance. If you are a student of the Bible, which if you stick around here long enough, you will become that, you will notice that the number 40 carries a weight like no other number in the whole Bible. Maybe perhaps 12 or 7 or 3, but 40 is up there specifically when it comes to time and seasons. It's a number packed with significance. It's more than a milestone. It's it's a number about a biblical significance. It represents a pattern. It's meant to help the people of God take notice to what God is doing in that season. 
That's what the number 40 means. If, if I could break it down for us, there's a few things I would draw to your attention about the number 40 to help you understand the significance of the moment that we're in. First and foremost, the, the significance of 40 represents a, a course of time. It represents a season or a duration of time having passed. If you remember your Bible early in the story, Genesis chapter 6, we hear about the flood where God flooded the earth to cleanse it from its iniquity. And he did it over a duration of how long? 40 days and 40 nights. It was 40 it was 40 years that Moses fled into Midian being prepared for his great challenge where he would be the deliverer of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh. It was 40 days that Jonah warned Nineveh about the coming judgment of God and 40 days that Nineveh had to pass to take note to the warnings. It represents a course of time, but not only a course of time, but it represents a time of testing. There is a utility to the number 40 that it represents a moment of testing, of trial, of this refining process that God often takes his people through. Have you served God long enough to know that he takes us through moments of process and refining to bring about his purposes? 40 is often represented that way. You might know the story of Jesus right after he was filled with the Spirit that says the Spirit led him into the wilderness. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested for how long? 40 days, you guessed it. Elijah, after calling down fire on Mount Carmel, was chased by Jezebel into the wilderness where he hit rock bottom and discovered a God at a depth that he did not, go, he did not know God could go. And it was over 40 days that he journeyed. It was 40 days, again, that Nineveh had to repent. This is, there was this moment of refining 40 also represents a transitional window. It's not just a process, but it's a hinge moment. It's a moment that, it's a, it's a turn the page moment, a moment that steps us from where we were to where we're going. It's this kind of middle moment that is so ripe with possibility and represents the change of seasons. It was 40 years that the Philistines oppressed Israel until God brought a new change of season through a deliverer named Samson. It was 40 days that Goliath taunted Israel on the hillside, having them frozen in fear. And then after 40 days, God brought a man named David to the picture and a new season began. It was 40 years that David ruled as king after 40 years that Saul ruled as king. Crazy, right? And then David's son came in and you guessed it, he ruled for 40 years. Years. 40 represents a transitional window, a change of seasons, a passing of generations. Most importantly, if we could sum it all up, the number 40 represents this moment of divine opportunity. We have this word that we use, it's a Greek word called kairos, and it, it means this appointed time where God has appointed this specific moment for specific purposes, and it's an open window of opportunity, and that's what number 40 represents in the scripture. God seems to have loaded the number 40 with meaning. For whatever reason, he's connected it to deep value. He's even connected it so substantially through the scripture that you see it in seemingly superfluous stuff that don't, doesn't really seem to matter to the narrative. Like there are 40 chapters in the book of Exodus that the time of testing for the children of Israel. There are 40 different authors who God used to put together the Holy Scripture. There, there's 40 cubits of measurement for the holy place in the temple. 40 is this major number. It is a number that God uses to get our attention when he says, hey, this is important, take note. 
What you do in this moment matters. What happens next really matters. That's what 40 means. It's more than just the number for us. It's more than just a birthday. It's a moment where we come up for air and we make sure that we are seeing what God wants us to see. If I could put it in a nutshell, I believe that our 40 moment is ultimately a moment that is appointed by God. And for us, it's a moment where we have got to get clarity and seize the opportunity. That's ultimately what this 40 represents. It's a moment it's a moment where God has appointed a window of opportunity and clarity. And I believe that's what we are in right now, not just because we have 40 years under our belt, but quite literally, I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is in a time of transition. Have you, have you caught that? Has anybody lived long enough to know that these days are different? That we are in a global shift. We are shifting out of the you know, the, the, the industrial age into the information age. We are becoming, instead of a geo-industrial complex, we are this global network complex. Econ eco economies and po like politics, they're all changing and molding as we watch it day by day. And this is happening to the church globally. The church is in a 40 moment. And God in his kindness to us just so happened to have coincide our 40th anniversary with the time of change that is happening to us, whether we are 40 or not. If we miss this moment, I don't know what else God could do to get our attention. I am convinced that what we do in this moment really matters. And so our job in this moment right now, I believe, is to get clarity from the last 40 years and to seize the opportunity to shape the next 40 that we've got to look back and say, what rises to the surface? After 40 years of evidence and 40 years of the tests of time, what things can we hold to be true that will inform us as we step forward into what is next? That's the gift of this moment that we are in. I'm convinced what we do right now really matters. This is a test. This is our test. And how we handle ourselves right now matters deeply to our future. Now, some of you are saying, well, why, like, why, why the test? Why does God test us? Why, why tests in our walk with God? Well, I think you know this to be true. Mature students, for instance, understand that tests aren't so much about permission to do something that you couldn't before. Tests are to, pro are to prove that you are prepared to step into something greater. Have you noticed that to be true even in school? Like, I used to think as a kid that if I just tell the teacher what she wants to know, then I'll get to get out of here. That's kind of how I thought of it. But now that I've grown, I see that tests are ultimately to show and to prove that you have retained the right information and you have learned the right lessons to set you up to withstand what's coming next. That's ultimately what tests do. Tests reveal truth. They reveal whether or not you have internalized the lessons. They then, after you have shown to have proven the, the test, they release promotion. Tests are about did you retain the right information? Do you have the wisdom to apply it? I, I thought about it like this, and you, you know this to be true. Faith that has not been tested can't be trusted. How many of you have thought you believed something and then when it was tested, you realize, oh, I didn't? Or on the flip side, how many of you, you thought you believed something and then when it was tested, you realized it was true? 
I had one of those moments just last weekend. My wife, Melanie, and I, we went on a marriage retreat with the uh, good people from Alpha. And it was a beautiful weekend where we just kind of got together and we did, we did some work on our marriage and it was awesome. And the weekend culminated with this moment of renewing vows. And I thought back to the moment 15 plus years ago where Melanie and I stood and took hands at an altar where Pastor Don, my uncle, led us in those vows. And what they meant to me at that moment, I thought I meant them. And it turns out 15 years later, I did. But I didn't know what I didn't know when I got into it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was only after the test of those vows that they were proven to be true. And I'll tell you what, 15 plus years later, some highs and some lows and some losses and some wins, those vows meant a whole lot more to me. There was a weight to them that wasn't there until after the testing. They carried a weight. And so when we are tested, testing proves the substance by which we think we have inside of us. Testing proves the substance of our faith, the substance of our lives. Testing is what separates the wheat and the chaff, the truth from the lies, the reality from the delusion, the the facts from the feelings, the convictions from assumptions. That's what tests do, and that's why we're in this moment of testing It's just like when the children of Israel, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, but they didn't wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they had to. God didn't intend for them to do that, but it turned out that they weren't ready for the promised land that God had given them. If you know the story of Israel, God had liberated them from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. He raised up Moses, and they saw God do incredible things. I mean, the the hand of God moving on their behalf, delivering them from Pharaoh, from slavery. God parts the sea. He provides for them supernaturally in the wilderness. And then 40 days after that, we find they go up Mount Sinai, and Moses receives the promise from God where God gives them the Ten Commandments, signs a covenant in, 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 in rock to establish it, and then promises them, I'm going to give you the, what I promised Abraham. And Moses comes down and we find that Israel had already begun to break the promise. They weren't getting the lesson. And we find that they come to the edge of the promised land. And at the moment where they're supposed to go in and take it, 12 spies go in and they spend, you guessed it, 40 days in the land. And they come back out and 10 of them decided, you know what? There's too much against us in that land. The giants are too big. The opposition is too great. The walls are too thick. We're going to go back to Egypt. And only two of them came to believe God at his word. And this moment proved to God that the children of Israel had not retained the right information yet. They had not learned the lessons of God's faithfulness. They had not learned the lesson that if God said it, it will happen. They had not learned the lesson that God's word can be trusted. And so they spent 40 years in the wilderness where God taught them the long lesson. And you, if you read your Bible, you could go and check it out. The book of Deuteronomy is kind of the closing thoughts on the journey of Israel from slavery into the promised land. 
And Moses, at the end of his life, basically steps forward and he reminds Israel all of the things that they came to learn over the previous 40 years. And look what he says in closing. This is, this is what he says. These are some of the last words that Moses ever said to the children of Israel, trying to remind them, we have learned this. We know this. Remember. And look what he says. He says, he summoned all the Israelites and said to them, your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to, to Pharaoh, to all of his officials and to all his land. With your own eyes, you saw those great trials, those signs and great wonders. You saw them. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. And in fact, there was an entire generation that never got it. They, they, they died in the wilderness and then it says this, yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, I still provided. Your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. And I did this so that, here it is, so that you might know that I am the Lord, your God. Moses steps forward and he says, have you learned yet who God is? Have you looked back over the last 40 years and figured out that God is who he says he is? Have you learned the right lessons? This was the moment they were in and it was that 40 moment that shifted and Joshua comes in and Israel finally goes in and begins to take the promised land. But in these 40 moments, in these divine windows, it is critical that we look back and we get clarity on what matters most. Otherwise, we will not be fit to step into what God has next. If you don't have clarity on the realities of who God is and what we have learned over the course of time, we will not be ready to step into what God has next. And I believe this is our 40 moment as a church. And I want to ask the question, what answers do we know? What lessons have we learned? What have we actually figured out in 40 years of ministry? And given that clarity, how will we then move forward? And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But have we learned anything? I want to spend just a couple minutes today getting clarity. I want to look at what the Lord has done in the last 40 years. And I want just, this is a test. And I just spent some time before the Lord and I, I asked the Spirit to call to mind what are the things that unequivocally now we know to be true because we have tested these things to be true and we've seen them as true. What are the things that we now know? What do we know that are immovable facts? What things were faith that are now conviction that we have seen God come through on? And so today I want almost like a Deuteronomy moment where we look back and we remind ourselves of what God has done. And we're going to even celebrate some more of that next week. But I want to get the lessons in front of us today. And I have spent some time this week just trying to clarify the top 10 unassailable truths that we've seen over the past 10 years. Now, there are thousands of things we could talk about, so I just wanted to give the most important priority answers that came to my spirit. And if you'd understand these things that I share to be true, I want you to help me today. So wherever you are, if you're in Halifax, you're in West St. John, you're in Charlottetown, you're online, or you're here with me at the Valley, I want you, if you know what I'm saying is true, I want the church to say amen. I want the redeemed of the Lord to say so. So here they are. I've got 10 things. I want you to help me. I want to make sure before we move forward that you know what you need to know. Because if you don't know these things, you're not going to be prepped for what God has next, and we're going to miss out on it. So number one is this. Are you ready? Are you with me? Here's what we know to be true. Here's the first unassailable truth that we have seen, and that is this. 
that Jesus saves and the blood still works. We have seen 40 years of people coming to Jesus, looking for life and finding life. We have seen 40 years of people who were lost and they find truth in Jesus. We have seen 40 years of people who were hopelessly bound, being set free by Jesus. We have seen 40 years of people who were lost in darkness, being brought into the light, being taken from death and brought into life. The blood of Jesus saves. He saves. Over the last 40 years, we we did did some digging in our records. And this isn't including this year. We have seen 1,261 people go under the waters of baptism. If we could just, if we had it all, we don't because we didn't have the technology back 40 years ago. But if we had a video reel of 1,261 of those faces coming up out of the water representing another person who met life and truth and forgiveness and mercy and hope in Jesus, what story that would tell? And you know what it would say about every single one of them? Jesus saves. They have the same story at the end of the day. The point of our testimony is the exact same thing. It doesn't matter if you were a drug addict or an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter if you grew up as an orphan or you grew up in a healthy family. Every one of us have the same story. I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead and now I'm alive. He set me free. It's Jesus. The blood of Jesus saves. And the thing I love about it, is how like he saves a multitude of people over 40 years. Guess how many people we've seen make decisions to say, I need Jesus and I'm going to follow him. Not including this year, 5,462 people over the last 5,462 people have said, I need Jesus. See, our church started out with the conviction and the belief that people in the Kennebecasis Valley need Jesus. But Jesus is needed beyond Kennebecasis Valley. And we have seen God reach into families and communities beyond our wildest dreams. We are now in three provinces. And you know what I've found to be true? The blood still works in Nova Scotia. The blood still works in PEI. The blood works in New Brunswick. It works in Ontario. It works in Alberta. You know what else I've found? It's not, just con- it's not contained geographically. It's also not contained in time. The blood was not effective in the 80s only. It worked in the 80s and it worked in the 90s. And the blood worked at the turn of the the millennium. Y2K didn't destroy the blood. It worked in 2010. It works in the 20s. The blood works. Jesus saves. I know this to be true. I've tasted and experienced it. Can somebody say amen? Jesus saves and the blood still works. We know people need Jesus and we know that he doesn't fail to deliver time and time and time again. Number two. I have learned, and we have learned, that God will always provide. If he can provide for your salvation, can he not provide for electricity, for your bills, for your worries, for your burdens, for your concerns? If he's got the goods to save the world from eternal sin and destruction, I'm sure he can handle our coronavirus worries. We have seen God so faithful to provide. He will always provide the provision for the vision. 
Our church stepped out in faith in 1981, not quite sure how this was all going to work, and yet here we are 40 years later, haven't missed a beat, haven't missed a bill. God provides. I had a conversation with Bruce Horseman. He's one of our, uh, I shouldn't use the word oldest members. He's been around for a while with King's Church. He, He wouldn't like if I said oldest members. He's our CFO now and oversees our finances. And we were talking this week just about the hand of provision of God over the last 40 years. And we said, you know what? It'd be interesting to sit down and just like compile a collection of hours and sleepless nights just between my mind, Pastor Don, and like, Carol Butland, who ran our finances for, for some years, and just like how much worry and hair loss and sleepless nights we've had, worrying about who's going to do that, how are we going to pay for that, and yet here we are after 40 years, and God has not failed to supply one thing we need. 40 years, God has proven to us He will provide everything. Like we just sung in the song, all we have needed, his hand has provided. God will provide. We have learned it to be true. You know what else we've learned to be true? Oh, let's go back to number three. Prayer works. Prayer works. When we pray, God hears And when we ask if it's in his name, he gives. We have seen this happen over and over and over. We have seen specific prayers answered. Now, some of you are like, well, I'm still praying for this and I haven't seen it. Oh, your time will come. But I want you to look back and remember with me as a community that we have seen so many prayers that we have specifically asked for come to pass. Like big things and small things, trivial things and important things, we've seen God come through because we asked him. We've seen sick people healed. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen barren wombs conceive. We've seen prodigals, hopelessly lost children who had been prayed for for 20 years come through the doors and come to the altar and repent and find grace. We have seen it, church. We have seen prayer work. I love, I love in the ledger, it says early on, it says everything we did had to be soaked in prayer. That's been part of who we are all the way through. Prayer works. We have learned it. We have seen it. I saw it in 2012 when I became senior pastor in the most, one of the most difficult times of our 40-year history. And what did we do? We didn't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We didn't rest on our laurels. What did we do? I read 2 Chronicles 7 that says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and repent from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal them. And we have learned this to be true. Prayer works. It works. Some of you right now are praying. Don't stop. We've been at this long enough to know that sometimes God delivers the answer quick and sometimes it takes time. And I don't know why he has his reasons, but you need to know this to be true. Prayer works. Don't stop. Prayer works. Number four, along with this, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers work in vain. What do I mean by that? Well, it's taken from Scripture, but we have learned over 40 years 
even in my time as senior pastor, nearly a decade, for every great God success we have, there's a whole lot of human blunders there too. And for every ministry that has taken off and worked and God has breathed on it, we've also had some stuff that we just tried that didn't work. And I'll tell you something, there is a difference between the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of human beings. And we have seen everything that stands out when I look back over the last 40 years, all the things that stand out are those God-breathed moments where the Spirit showed up in partnership with people who stepped out in faith. Those are the moments that has built us and brought us. It's been by His hand that we've come to this place. God has built this church. God has grown this church. God has established this church. It's been his spirit. We have learned over 40 years that I can preach, I can preach the most eloquent sermon ever with funny stories and quips and all the stuff, but if the spirit doesn't move, you're going to leave and forget. But I could get up here and the Lord give me a word and I could just say something like God is good. And if the spirit goes with that word and it lands in your spirit, you could be changed forever. The spirit of God on our behalf has moved over and over. And we have learned that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there's liberty, there's joy, there's peace, there's hope. We have come to learn, you know what? We love the arts, we love music, but don't give me a concert, give me the spirit. We, we, we love good Bible teaching, amen? We love it. Open the word, teach us the word, but don't give me your thoughts, give me the spirit of God speaking to me. That has built our church. That is who we are. We are spirit-filled people, and we have learned over 40 years it is what we need is the Holy Spirit moving on our behalf. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers work in vain. We have seen him move. Amen? Does anybody else know this is true? I feel like West is all over this, and Halifax is all over this. God's spirit, unless the, unless the Lord builds the house of labors or conveying. Number five, I'm moving quick. You all are worried. You're like, 10 of these? I'm moving fast. 40 years and 20 minutes. What the enemy means for evil, God can turn to good. Come on, somebody. That's a whole sermon. I mean, that's taken right out of the scripture, but we have seen this time and time again. I've seen it in my own life. Like, let's zoom in on the micro for a minute. Has anybody seen something that, you know what, in the moment you cried, but 10 years later, you look back and you say, I'm glad that happened. I'm glad it happened because if that didn't happen, then God couldn't have done this. And we have found over those 40 years as a church that those very places of attack become the very place of God's victory. And those moments of testing and trial become the place of great testimony. And we have seen God take horrible circumstances and losses and shameful things and destructive things and make beautiful things. He's a redeemer. God is able to turn things. He's like this cosmic jujitsu guy that throws the devil down with his own weight. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? He uses what the devil brings against us against him. 
And we've seen that over and over. I'll never forget in 2012. I mean, I can only speak from my, the time I've been leading. But in 2012, at that very prayer meeting, we called the church to prayer. We ended the time, and I asked uh, one of the church leaders from the city, David McElhaney, to come and pray with us. And I gave him the mic at the end, and he said these words. And I remember it. It just felt, you felt the cutting weight of the spirit. And he said, the devil will rue the day that he did this to this church. Sure enough, the very place where the enemy tried to bring destruction, God built us. Where the enemy tried to take, God gave. Where the enemy tried to destroy, God built up. Where the enemy tried to take away, God blessed. That's what God does. When the enemy thinks he has us, Jesus has him right where he wants. I even made a meme for you to help illustrate it. Any mean people? It's my favorite meme of all time. That, this one is the gift. Leo is the gift that keeps on giving. But has anybody, anybody known that to be true? I know we're having fun with it, but is that, can you look back over your life and just say, yeah, the devil thought he had me. You know, the devil thought he had me when I was, you know, dating that girl, making all those mistakes. The devil thought he had me when I was doing this and I was out there or when, when my kids were going out this way. You know, maybe there's some parents here right now that your kids are wayward. I just prophesy over you. You give Jesus some time and you keep praying over that kid and you watch. The very strength at which they rebel will be the strength at which they commit to God, I promise you. God will turn things to good. He will turn. We've seen it. Has anybody seen it? We have seen it time and time again. Number six, God is a way maker who never stops working. That's taken from a song lyric. Some of you are now humming it in your heads. And I mean, not just that he's able. I just talked about that he's able to do great things. But I mean specifically in that he never gives up. Like he, he, he's relentless. And he's working on us and in us and at us in ways that we didn't even realize. And I don't know if you've lived long enough to look back and just see how God was working all along. And he never gave up on you. Are you grateful for that today, that God doesn't quit on us? It's been really fun. Like one of the sweet gifts of God in my life has been that uh, Melanie, my wife, grew up here. I mean, she was part of the original church uh, back in the early 80s. And... Uh, you know, she went to high school here, and it's been really cool. Every, every now and again, she'll, like, after church, we'll, we'll, you know, decompress, and she'll say, you won't believe who I saw at church today. You know, I went to high school with that person, and that, that person has been years off in the weeds making horrible decisions and bringing destruction on their life. And then they started coming to CR and they met Jesus and now they're here at church and their lives are turned around. I just can't believe that God has brought them so far. And that God didn't quit on them. And God didn't give up on them. And we have a church full of people that God did not quit on. Like in the moment that you thought that God would be like, hey, I can't work with this. He's still there. He's still working. He's still working to bring you to himself. The Bible says that the Spirit of God searches the earth, relentlessly looking for him who he can strengthen and encourage. God never stops working. He's always working. Number seven, God is with us, and he's intricately involved with us even when we don't see it. 
Only time can show this. Has anybody lived long enough and walked with God long enough to look back? And in moments like we're in right now, I I mean, some of you might be on the mountaintop, but most of us are pretty over this like 20-some-month thing of COVID. I'm over it. Anybody over it? We just, yes. But in these moments where it's like, you know, the clouds are heavy and you're in the storm, it's hard to see where God is. But once you get out of it and you start looking back in hindsight, you start to see little things that God was doing all the way along, walking with you in intricate detail, setting you up to bring you through and bring you on into new places. And I've seen that in my own life, just little ways, little graces. Can anybody look back over their life and just see little tiny graces that God just, just guiding me along so specifically and tenderly intricately involved with my life. One of the things I think that blows me away the most about our church isn't the big giant provisions, the the huge miracles that we notice, but it's the day-to-day intricacies of God's involvement in our lives. I love that God cares about the stage your kid is in. You know he does? He cares about this funk that your marriage is in right now and he's working on making it better. Like, he cares about those small things that we go through in life. We have learned it, that he's working. He's working always before us. We have a term around here. We say God goes before us in triumphal procession. It was a big message that was preached a handful of years ago out of of the Corinthians. God comes behind us and cleans up our mess. Anybody? Anybody? Any honest people in church? Yeah, and God is with us right now, intricately moving, working, partnering with us. God is with us. Number eight, there is nothing like the church of Jesus Christ. I don't know how people in your life outside of the context of the Christian family, the Christian community, I honestly have no idea. None of us would tell you here that we are exempt from hardships. In fact, we might even say that Christians have extra burdens. But there is a grace that comes from being part of the church of Jesus Christ that is irreplaceable. I mean, I look around this room alone, I think about people online who are tuning in, like, we were there with you at the wedding and we were there with you at the funeral. We were there at the baby shower and the graduation. We were there, like these milestones in life and the day-to-day ins and outs. I mean, I've been seeing these pictures being posted of our church lately from all different campuses. I saw one of uh, a gentleman that that had been here at the Valley Campus for years and years and years, Stan Constantine, and just he was such a beautiful, lovely man, and he was so kind to me always. And I just saw this picture of him in the parking lot and how many people he greeted over the years coming to church. And like to me, that's church. Not a guy that's in the parking lot, a guy that values other people enough to just say hello and smile at them and say, hey, you are welcome here, and I'm with you. I love the church. I love the family of God. I love the people of God who are on the mission of God, doing the ministry of God. I love the church It is the greatest, most powerful, most potent organization, mission, family, army, hospital on planet Earth. Does anybody believe that? There is is nothing greater than the church of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. I will say that full stop. You know, Tesla, take a back seat. United States, take a back seat. 
The church of Jesus Christ is the people of God on the mission of God. She is eternal. She is enduring. She was here 40 years ago. She'll be here 40 years from now. The consistency and the staying power I've seen. The ministries have come and gone. Methods come and go. They have their day. But the church is not a seasonal thing. She is like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither, who bears fruit in its season. In all she does, she prospers. The church of Jesus Christ is a constant. Number nine, I'm almost done. Number nine, this is just the big collector because everything's just gonna go in here. God is good. He is merciful. He is kind. He is compassionate. He is faithful. He is loving. He is interested. He's attentive. He's invested. He is patient. Thank you, Lord. He is slow to anger and rich in love. His anger lasts a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. He is faithful from generation to generation. He notices you. He cares about you. God is so good. We've sung it different ways in different seasons. We sung the song, God is so good. We sing, you are good, good, good. We sing, uh, what's your goodness is coming after me. The songs change, but the truth remains. God is just plain good. Don't let anything or anyone tell you otherwise. Don't let somebody who's misrepresenting him convince you that he's not. God is only always ever good. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Come on, God is good. And all the time. Come on, God is good. And all the time. We've been doing this for 40 years. Come on, church. God is good. And all the time. Yes, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on, would you just put your hands together and thank God for his goodness. God, we bless you. We just say you're good. Come on, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. That's the Pentecostals would call that a praise break. <laughs> Number 10, God moves through and is pleased by our faith. In the coming weeks, we're going to shift into talking more forward, but I want to just plant this as a seed for the last 40 years because we've learned this. That God moves through faith, and he's pleased by faith. The very first thing written in our ledger, right before the little story that I read to you, is Hebrews 11.6, and it says this right at the top of the page. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to, to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Our story has been built on that and is being built on that. And everything we have seen God do over the last 40 years, somebody believed him for it. Just think about it for a minute. Everything we have seen God do over the last 40 years, somebody here believed God would do it and had faith for it. And we have seen the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God come through the means of our faith over and over again. And now it is time for us, as we get clarity in this moment, it is time for us to seize the opportunity for the next 40 years. I, if we could get in the Wayback Machine, I don't know, do we have that? Do we have that sound effect? I don't know if we do, but maybe we'll try to start it up. We'll get the guys to start it up. 
if we could go way back and we could hop in the time machine. Do we have the way back machine? Oh, yes, she's starting. We're going back to 1981. Yes. I love that our way back machine's a diesel. It's great. And here we are, it's 1981. And we are at Lakefield Elementary School in Quispamsis. And there are some 30 people that have gathered for Kings Valley Church. And they are there and they have no idea what the next 40 years are going to contain. All they know is God had called them to mission, called them to community, called them to be a family and to go out and to see people come to know Jesus. And if we could go back and like a, a delegation of us could go back and stand in front of them and we could tell them, Here's what's going to happen in the next 40 years. You guys have stepped out in faith. You're meeting in a school. You're giving your offerings to something you're not quite sure is going to actually work. Let me tell you, in 40 years, your offerings, your consistency, your sacrifice, and your commitment is going to turn into 5,000 plus people who are going to come to know Jesus. You're going to be a church of several thousand. You don't know this yet, but there's going to be several thousand people who call your church home. And you're not just going to be in Lakefield Elementary School, but very soon God is going to actually give you a building. And then you're going to actually be, you're going to grow out of that building and have to build another one. And then you're going to grow out of Quispam Sis. And God is going to actually give you a regional vision and a heart for Atlantic Canada. And you're actually going to have to go and you're going to plant yourself in Halifax. And there's going to be Haledonians that are part of your family. And then you're going to actually launch. And you're going to not just be in Quispam Sis. You're going to go to West St. John and reach the other side of the city. And then you're going to go to Charlottetown PEI as well. And then the craziest thing, you're not going to believe this. There's this thing called the internet. No, there's no flying cars. Disappointing. But there's this thing called the internet. And technology and through technology, God is actually going to take our church family through, I know, I know it's hard to understand, but through this online mechanism. And there's going to be people that are part of your church family who give and serve and pray and live and are discipled by all over the country of Canada. Now, I know you wouldn't believe me if I told you, but this is what's going to happen. What would, they, what would they think if we could go and just give them a report, a 40-year report of truth of what God did. I think they would think we're exaggerating, wouldn't they? Like, get out of here. 5,000 people are going to decide to follow Jesus? You mean those crazy Easter costumes that Pastor Don's got me putting on are going to convert and they're going, to be, they're, going to, they're going to be part of 5,000 people who come to know Jesus, whose names aren't just written in a ledger, they're written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 5,000? I think what they'd say after just getting over the shock of that is they'd say, well, everything I'm giving right now is worth it. Like all the, the financial sacrifice, the time, the investment. I love, when we're going to celebrate our history next week. We're going to go walk down memory lane, and we've got a whole video thing, and it's going to be incredible. You don't want to miss it. But one of the things I love about our church is our church, like, has rolled up its sleeves and just done the work. And I think they would say it's all going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth it. And if we took the Wayback Machine, you don't need to fire it up. It's still on. But if we took the Wayback Machine not just back to 2021, but if we could go forward to 2062, 
And we as a delegation could go and see what God will do in another 40 years. And if God can, if God can take 20-some people, 30-some people, and turn it into thousands. And if God can take people who are geographically in one small little elementary school and take it to multiple places at once, if he can do that in 40 years, what could God do with several thousand people in another 40 years? I think this is our moment that we have got to consider how we are setting ourselves up and stepping forward in the next 40 years. I'm going to ask you to start praying about the next 40, even as we celebrate the last 40. And I'm going to give you just a, a rundown of what's going to happen the next two weeks. Next week is going to be our birthday celebration. We're going to look back and we're going to celebrate 40 years. And I know some of you are newer, like Halifax, you're only five years old or so, and same with West and Charlottetown. I mean, you're brand new and here you are celebrating 40 years, but this is your story too. And we're going to celebrate what God has done, and it's going to be a week not to miss. If you can get to a physical location next weekend, I would strongly recommend it. But online, Ron's got you covered as well. It's going to be a great weekend. And then the following weekend on November 28th, we're going to look forward. And we're going to say, thank you, Lord, for the past, but now it's our time to sort of start to paint and track the future. And that's going to be our weekend where we give. It's our big give weekend. We do that every year where I'm asking you, to invest in the church financially. And I full stop have no shame in saying it is the best investment for any one of us to plant seed in the soil of a healthy church because it produces like nothing else can. And so what we're going to do, and I want to give you, and I'm, I'm going to break these things down in detail in the coming weeks. We're going to spend more time on it. But so you can be praying and you know what our next steps are going to be, here are the things that we're going to be focusing on right away. First is this. Our next steps is to invest in church ministry and infrastructure. Full stop, healthy churches are what the world needs. The world needs healthy churches, and we want to invest and actually make Halifax more fruitful than ever before. We want to make West St. John more fruitful than ever before. We want to beef up our ministry specifically to get revival ready. I am not letting go of that dream, and I think we are closer to it than ever before. And I believe on the backside of this pandemic, on this pruning, what happens after pruning? Do you know? Fruitfulness. It's coming. And we need to beef our ministry up to be ready for more people than ever before. Number two, we're going to invest in developing leaders in the church, specifically pastors. There is a pastoral epidemic happening in North America. There are less and less people going into ministry, and we need people raised up and trained up to actually give their lives to serving the church, to make disciples who make disciples. And there is a huge disconnect within denominations and within Bible colleges and within churches, and I believe God is doing something new, and I'll tell you more about it in the coming weeks, but I'm going to tell you about the King's Academy of Ministry that we are launching next year. And uh, it's going to be an incredible, powerful, streamlined training ground where we partner with Kingswood University and it's going to be awesome. I'll tell you more about it. But that's where another one of our financial priorities. The third one is this. We're going to step into our next church plant. We're going to raise funds to launch our next church. We are a church that has always been on mission and we will never stop. And we just planted a church in a pandemic. Pandemic didn't stop us and we're not going to stop now. We're going to keep planting churches. Amen? And our next place, we, God has opened the door for us to plant. He has raised up an incredible couple who are going to be our, our pastor and they're going to take the reins and they are going to, we are going to plant in St. Stephen. 
Yeah, and it's going to be. I'm going to tell you lots more. Don't, I'm going to tell you lots more about it. We're going to focus that on that on week three, but I want you to start praying about it and asking God for how we're going to partner. We need to raise about $200,000, probably two fifty, to make this work well. And God can do it, and he's going to do it. And I believe that there are people, there are people in St. Steve. Ah, we'll talk about it in three weeks. We'll talk. <laughs> so here's what I'm asking you to do today. And I'm going to pray and we'll be done. I want you to pray about your next step. What's, what's God asking you to do? This is a great time. And I'll just say this with all love and tenderness. This is the best time you're going to have to get in or get out of this church. You know, this is the moment every year where we're like, hey, who's with us? And who's just, who's just kind of hanging around, taking up a seat? You know, not so much right now. You're mostly online. But you know what I'm saying. Who's with us? Take a step of ownership. I'm going to call some of you who have not been contributors to actually start taking ownership of this house. I'm going to call some of you who have been taking some ownership to start tithing, start giving a percentage every week. Do it first, not last. And then I'm going to call some of you who are already tithing. My wife and I have done this over the last few years, and we're not going to stop, to give a one-time commitment above and beyond our offering. My wife and I spread it out over the year. But I'm asking some of you, and some of you this year, I believe, are going to give big. Because uh, we actually, we need big dollars to accomplish what God wants us to do. And I, I'll tell you full stop, I'm giving to this, I'm not getting from this, okay? So my wife and I are also praying about what we're going to give. I don't get a raise because I do a good job at fundraising, that's not how it works. So I want you to know that God is moving us this way. So would you stand with me, all of our locations, I want to pray about these next steps. If you just like bow your heads, close your eyes and open your hands if you're, just, if you're willing. I just want to pray a prayer of availability. Heavenly Father, we just turn ourselves to you right now as one people in different places. Lord, some are at their homes, some are in Halifax, Charlottetown, West St. John. And God, we just say... The thing we have in common isn't just that we're all part of King's Church, it's that we're yours. We say, Jesus, we're yours. And God, we give you thanks. And we we pray, Lord, you help us celebrate adequately next week the birthday milestone. But we give you thanks in advance for what you've done in our midst. We tell of the good deeds. We have seen your goodness in the land of the living. We thank you. And now, Lord, we just make ourselves available for the next 40 Lord, would you help us have hearts and minds that see beyond the temporary and see beyond right now and that we would make decisions that affect the next generation, that we'd make investments that actually our kids and our kids' kids will benefit from, the same way we stand here and benefit from the sacrifice of those who stepped out 40 years ago. God, I pray you'd help us in this 40 moment to hear you, to be available to what you want us to do, to surrender ourselves to you, to surrender our finances, our, our time, our devotion, and to say, God, would you just use me? Use me how you want. So, Lord, we thank you for 40. We thank you for this moment we ask, God. We just declare this window that we are in, you have appointed it, and we will not miss it. Lord, bring to mind by the power of your spirit the great lessons that we have learned through the tests and trials of time. Establish them deeper in our bones 
Would it be a reminder of the, the vows we have made and the goodness we have seen over these last years? And God, would it set us forward in great faith and urgency into the next 40? And we pray this in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus and everybody in all of our locations and online said, amen.